there are some things in life that are sacred to you. Uh, things that are special to you um, because they're yours. Things that you love and you don't really want anybody messing with because you're afraid that they'll tear it up. Uh, when I was in high school, I shared a car with my mom. It was a 1987 Ford Thunderbird Turbo Coupe. It looked exactly like this one. I found this picture the other day and was kind of like, whoa, like I was instantly taken aback. Now, um, my mom rarely drove the car, so it felt like my car. And one thing I was always doing in high school was I was cleaning cars. I did that kind of through the summers as a business, but I always cleaned my car and kept mine clean. So I was always like wiping the dust and dirt out of the door jams. I was, you know, scrubbing wheels, uh, getting the oil and road gunk off. Um, shampooing the carpets, getting Q-tips into every crack and crevice, making sure that thing was spotless inside and out, washed wax, Rain-X on the windows, shiner on the tires, the whole, the whole shebang, right? And when I would get it all clean and pristine, there was just something like special about that, to put the floor mats back in and give it one last little quick vacuum to get all the dust out and just to look at it and, and just see it in all of its spotless glory. And and once I got it to that place, I started to notice I didn't really want anybody else getting in my car. Because the second somebody steps in there, there's dirt on the floor mat. And even though, yes, it's just a little few rocks and a few pieces of dirt, there, it, it still it just takes it away from it, right? Because when it's perfect, you can just kind of sit there and go, oh, yeah, enjoy that hard work. And the second it's dirtied, it's such just kind of a disappointment. I would even find myself after I cleaned it, like hanging my feet over the sides and like kicking my heels together to try to shake off the dirt from my shoes. And, you know, I have discovered a way around um, the disappointment that I used to feel when a clean car got dirty. And that was just, I don't clean my cars anymore. So that's, that worked, um, you know. Uh, kids, kids really, really helped me out with that because it really seemed like a fruitless um, endeavor, you know. Uh, like shoveling your driveway in the middle of a blizzard is kind of what it felt like to clean my car once my kids showed up. Um, but even if you're not a clean car person or an overly, you know, clean, neat freak of a person. Uh, oops, let me go back to the car, I guess. Um, even if you're not an overly like, clean, neat freak person, what you... You still have places in your life, I guess, where you understand what this is like, where you have things that are yours and yours alone, and you don't want anybody really messing them up, um, things that are precious to you, even if it's not something that's particularly precious. Um, for example, in college, this happened more than once, and I don't know, I was always amazed by it, but on more than one occasion, I'd have a guy kind of come into my room and say, hey, Anthony, can I borrow a pair of socks? And I don't know, maybe you're cool with that. I don't want anybody wearing my socks, um, especially because I knew how gross the guys in my dorm were. College guys in general, not the cleanest bunch. I heard the guys talk about their athlete's foot and the fungus. I knew what kind of gunk lived on their feet. And it's like, I don't want your nasty foot inside my sock because then I'd have to burn my socks. Like, I don't want that at all. And so even though you wouldn't consider socks precious. They're mine, and I'm not sharing them with everybody else. Now, maybe some of you are sock-sharing heathens, but judging by the groans and the faces that I saw, probably most of you are not. Um, and if you're not, it's going to make it a lot easier for you to understand kind of the biblical concept that we're going to be talking about in this series, which is holiness. We're talking about Holiness, and holiness is a rich theme that flows throughout the entire Bible. And holiness is something that is incredibly important to God. 
which means it's something that we really need to put effort into understanding and making sense of so that we know how God wants us to live and how we can live in a way that honors and glorifies him. Now, it can be really hard to fully understand the idea of holiness because there's a lot of different ways you can look at it in Scripture. There's a lot of different ways that it's portrayed in Scripture. But basically, the main idea in the Old Testament, uh, is where we've been for you know, the whole first part of the year, is that the Old Testament word for holiness means to cut, to separate, or to take something and set it apart from everything else. And the main idea where we, we get this um, in the Old Testament is the idea of separating ourselves or certain things from sin. Now, just to think about this idea of separation, because it can be really weird. Again, if you're talking about holiness and it just means to take something and set it apart, um, that can be confusing. I think a lot of times we get into the Bible and we start looking at these kind of topics and they can be confusing because we use big Bible words, and we'll use a few of those today as we go, but it just makes it confusing. But if you can understand it, like what it meant just as a normal word, it really does help. So just think about taking something that you loved and moving it away to keep it precious, to keep it safe, to keep it away from things that might hurt it. Um, There was really two ways that we see this in Scripture. Uh, One was taking something and separating it because it was in and of itself special. It was precious. And the other one is to separate something because it was precious to you. Um, so in the first sense, um, separating something because it's precious. Uh, one thing my kids have been into, especially my middle son, Jude, he's been into rocks. And um, he really, uh, really gets excited about geodes. And if you don't know what a geode is, it looks like a regular little round rock. And I don't know how you can tell what a geode is or isn't because it looks like just the most boring little round pebble, right? But when you crack it open... It is filled with these really beautiful crystals, and they can be all different colors. And, and so for Christmas, we got him a box of geodes and a rock hammer. And he had the time of his life burning through those in like an hour, cracking those things open. And, and so let's say you had a, a pile of rocks, right? And then all of a sudden you notice that some of those rocks had a vein of like real, honest gold in the middle of them. Well, I would go and then start taking the gold ones and separating them out because then you know, okay, these are unique. These are special. These are, these are more valuable than those dirty, old, nasty, plain rocks. And so that's one idea of holiness, taking out what is special from what is ordinary and separating the special away from the ordinary. But the other is to just take something that's like everything else and separating it out. And what makes it special is that you've chosen it. Uh, think going to the store to buy a toothbrush. We all got to do this. You go to Walmart or wherever, and there's this like unimaginably large selection of toothbrushes. And yes, they might have their variations. You know, some bristles go like this, some go like this, whatever. Some have gum massagers. Some have little plastic things that say they're going to make your teeth whiter. Some have tongue scrapers on the back of them, whatever. Basically, a toothbrush is a toothbrush though, right? One toothbrush is just as good as another, okay? And so anybody in that store could walk up and take any toothbrush, and it doesn't mean anything to you until you grab one and say, this is now my toothbrush. And you take it home, and you put it in your mouth, and you clean your teeth with it. 
all of a sudden, that toothbrush becomes special. It's like every other toothbrush in the world. It's made out of the same plastic and bristles as everything else, but it's yours because you chose it to clean your teeth. And all of a sudden, it's not for scrubbing grout anymore. It's not for flicking the pieces of dirt out from between the keys on your keyboard. And it certainly ain't for anybody else's dirty mouth. It is yours. And so that's the idea. These two ideas that we kind of see about holiness are separating things away, either because they are special or because you've given them a purpose that is special to you. Now, when we move over into the Bible and we apply the idea that the, what we're separating things from to make them holy is you're separating it away from evil and wrong and sin and everything that is bad and corruptible in the world, um, that's when this idea really starts to take shape and make sense. Now, the ultimate example of holiness in Scripture is given as God himself. In Isaiah uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 15, it says, or 16, excuse me, it says, but the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Meaning that God in and of himself is completely absolutely and eternally without sin. Sin goes absolutely against his character and his nature. So what that means is God never lies. God always keeps his promises. God doesn't needlessly punish people. He doesn't take delight in causing people pain. He isn't cruel. He does the right thing because that's who he is. He, is, he cannot do wrong or do anything that is evil. He is utterly set apart from all things wrong. And then God created a universe. And we read in Genesis chapter 1 that he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's this perfect, wonderful creation. And then he makes humans. And he says, I'm going to make humans different than everything else. I'm going to make them special. I'm going to make them to uh, exist in my image. Meaning that we were meant to be the living, breathing, walking, talking examples of what God is like. We were meant to reflect his character and his nature. And in that early moment when we were created, it says, or in that moment that we were created, we were holy. We were separated from sin because God made us like himself. But it didn't take us very long to really ruin that party. We failed to be image bearers of God in that we chose sin over God. We chose ourselves over doing what God wanted us to do. We chose our own sinful selfishness, our blazing our own trail, determining our own destiny rather than doing what God wanted us to do and living how he wanted us to live. And because God is holy, meaning he is separate from all that is wrong, all that is unholy, all that is sinful, when we aligned ourselves with sin, we separated ourselves from God. And this idea of, of perfection that we see in the early pages of Genesis where Adam and Eve walked with God and they had this close relationship with him and there was nothing that came between them, that got torn apart by sin. And we've lost that connection with God because of sin because God cannot be near sin. He's holy and we separated ourselves from him when we chose sin. And this is why, I've already said this several times, that sin is kind of a wall that exists between us and God. It keeps us from having the relationship with our creator that we were meant to have. And so now humans are, in a sense, cut off from God's presence because of our sin. So in order to be in God's presence, something's got to change. Because how do we interact with a holy God when we are unholy? How do we get close to the God who is by nature set apart from the sin that we've covered ourselves in? 
Well, we've got to go to some extra lengths to make ourselves worthy to be in God's presence. And this is where the Old Testament law comes into play. We'll get into this in the coming weeks, but in the uh, first five books of the Bible, we get a lot and a lot and a lot of rules that God gives the, the ancient people of Israel to follow these rules. And, and there's over 600 of them, and they deal with absolutely every aspect of life, um, how to do business, how to eat their food, how to cook their food, how to treat strangers, how to treat their friends. He gives them so many rules. And the idea here is that God is trying to tell these people that they need to be a holy, different kind of people. That yes, all humans have sinned, but God wants to repair that and start to undo some of that damage. And so in order to do that, in order for them to be his people and to be in his presence, they have to devote themselves to being a holy, set-apart people that live differently than the other nations around them. But as you look at the entire Old Testament and you start following these people that were supposed to be a holy people, you start to learn they really, 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 really were bad at it. Like, unbelievably bad at it. In fact, the Old Testament is really frustrating to read because God reaches out to these people and he's like, hey, I love you, you're my people, just follow the rules and everything goes well for you. And then they're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and not follow any of those rules. And they just walk away from God over and over again. And things just go so badly for them because over and over again, they choose sin over their creator. And so what we see is a track record through Scripture of humans being very unable to choose holiness, unable to make ourselves holy, to live in a way that is honoring to God. And the picture painted is that whatever tiny bit of holiness we can kind of scrape together by following rules and doing good, it is very easily ruined and contaminated. Um, it doesn't take much to kind of ruin the holiness that we can kind of try to acquire for ourselves by following the rules. Um, think of a, a bride on her wedding day. She's wearing this beautiful gown, right, that she's looked through all the dresses, tried on a bunch of dresses, picked out, had tailored, altered just for her for this day to wear this dress one time, and it's a big deal, and she wants it to look perfect, and then before the wedding, you know, she's been nervous and her stomach's a little unsettled and she hasn't eaten breakfast and so she thinks, I should eat something. So somebody runs and gets her some fries at the nearest fast food place, comes back and she's eaten some fries before, right before the ceremony. She dips one in ketchup and right before she gets that fry to her mouth, a big glob of ketchup hits and runs down the wedding dress. Now you wouldn't say that the wedding dress is ruined necessarily, but it's ruined. You know what I mean? Like that moment, that perfectly white dress now has this big nasty glob on it and there's like how do you undo that in the I mean it's there everybody's gonna see it everybody's gonna see that that blemish that spot it kind of in a way corrupts the whole idea of what she was going for this beautiful picture of of her wedding day that's how sin works it utterly and completely corrupts no matter how many rules we follow, breaking that one rule ruins everything. The picture, I've, I've told this, uh, given this example many times before. Um, let's say you wanted to make a cookie cake because cookie cakes are delicious. And um, you can go to the store and get one, but why not just make some cookie dough and make one at home, right? And so you, you get your big round pan, you make your cookie dough, and you, you're putting your chocolate chips into it, right? But you also have a pet rabbit. 
And the rabbit just kind of runs around your house like a cat and does its own thing. And, and while you're adding in the chocolate chips, the rabbit kind of runs by and jumps up and accidentally drops a little rabbit nugget into your cookie cake, right? And you could make the cookie cake as you would and be like, you know what? It's only a little spot in the cookie cake. Chances are somebody else is going to get that bite, not me. Uh, so it's probably okay, even though it's only like half a percent of the total cookie cake. I'm sure you, you could make an excuse and say it's such a little part, it doesn't matter. But we all know that ruins the whole thing. You just take the whole bowl, you dump it out, and you just call it a day. Like you don't keep going at that point. That's what sin does. It is totally and utterly corrupting. That's why a little white lie here, a little something there, a little selfishness. You know, that, we, we try to rate our sin as if there's certain things that are worse, certain activities that are unholy and, and, you know, than others. But in God's sight, sin is sin, and it corrupts you, and it makes you unworthy to be in his presence because he must remain utterly and totally separated from sin. And even if we align ourselves with the smallest sin, we can no longer be in the presence of God. And, and this inability to say yes to God and to say no to sin is something that has plagued humanity for centuries. It's why the Apostle Paul, in, in a letter that he wrote to a church in the city of Rome, he writes these words in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So we will always kind of have this struggle, this addiction to do things that are selfish, to do what is wrong. And every time we choose that, we have to realize we are making ourselves opposite of what we were intended to be. We were meant to be image bearers of God, to shine the light of his holiness and beauty and and morality, and upright justice to the world. And we're choosing, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, not follow God's lead. And this has been a problem. Because if, if having a relationship with God depends on our ability to say no to sin and be holy, we're in trouble. Because we can't do it. We, we stink at it. Even when God gives us a list of rules saying, do these things and you will be holy, we're not going to be very good at doing those things. And so rather than waiting on us to clean ourselves off, God came up with another plan. He came into our world as Jesus. And since Jesus was God himself, he was holy. And, and Jesus walked around in our world as this kind of holiness uh, in person. And what was interesting is when you look through the Old Testament, what you see most often is how easily people who are holy can be corrupted by sin. But Jesus started to kind of flip things. And Jesus could interact with people who were unholy and unclean. And he would rub off on them. And his holiness would start to be contagious to them, whereas we tend to live where our sinfulness is contagious, in a sense. And so Jesus kind of flipped things around. And so Jesus lived a life giving us a perfect example of holiness and uprightness. He never sinned. He was never selfish. He was never cruel. He was perfect and a perfect representation of God from the moment he was born until the moment he died. And because he was perfect, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, to have his blood spilled to cover our mistakes, so that we then 
because our sins were taken away and washed and dealt with on the cross, we can then stand before God as holy. Like, I get this, when I put, give my faith to Jesus, when you give your faith to Jesus, you become holy. You receive the status, the name tag, the job description of holy. But here's the thing. I don't feel very holy most of the time, do you? I don't feel deserving of God's love and righteousness and forgiveness. I don't feel like I deserve any of that. In fact, there's a lot of times where I feel guilty. Like, ah, I shouldn't even be a preacher. I can't live up to the sermons I preach. I'm not even half the dad I want to be or half the husband I want to be or half the friend I want to be. There's times when I feel guilt because I'm supposed to be a, a holy Christian and I'm not great at being very holy most of the time. But not only did Jesus give us this status and declare that we were holy, even though we really hadn't earned it for ourselves, he then ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us so that we could have the strength to say no to sin, so that we could actually have the strength to, for the first time ever, say, you know what, I am going to choose the right thing. I am going to choose God's way over my way. Now, the way we see this played out a couple times, uh, first, uh, uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. This talks about how Oh, by the way, I, did, I put this in here because I wanted to mention it. If you read Scripture, you're going to see the word sanctification. It's a long, again, one of those Bible words that we get hung up on and we feel confused by. But it's basically the verb form of holiness. It's to be made holy. Okay, so this is what it means when God is making us more holy, making us more worthy to be in his presence. Okay, and then we go to Colossians. Here we go. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy. He died, he suffered, so that we, even though we're evil, even though we've done all the bad things, we get to be holy. He presents us as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, I am anything but blameless. I am anything but above reproach, and yet Jesus says that I'm holy. And that doesn't make sense to me, and that's one of the hardest things for me to accept. But but that is what it means to be a Christian. In fact, there's a, another word um, that we see a lot in the New Testament that we kind of miss, um, but it's the word saint. Now, when we say saints, I think like Mother Teresa, like somebody who's like over the top, unbelievably good, who made a huge difference in the world, who's way more selfless and caring than I'll ever be, and we go, oh boy, what a saint they are. They're such a saint. And yet the Bible says that, no, Christians are the saints. Saints means holy ones. I'm the holy one? Yes, because Jesus took my sin and dealt with it so that now I stand before God and he sees me as holy. And if you're a Christian, he sees you as holy. But like I said, I don't, I'm not that great at actually living up to that identity that I have in Christ. That's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. And the Holy Spirit comes to give us the power so that we can finally, for the first time in our lives, say no to that voice in our head that insists that we know better than God. That we can finally say no to that desire to be selfish, to do what is arrogant and prideful for me and hurtful maybe to others. And so that we can finally, once again, live as Adam and Eve did in Eden for the briefest of moments and actually reflect my creator, by how I live and think and speak. In Ephesians chapter 3, Apostle Paul, same guy, he writes these words. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, meaning he's praying. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, meaning all things were created by this amazing God, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, that part inside of you where the voice says, come on, just do what you want to do. Just tell a little lie, it won't hurt. Just, you know, forget that person. You know, they, if, they had, if they hadn't been so rude, maybe you wouldn't have to be so rude back. That voice inside of you, we get power on the inside, transformation from the inside out, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, because you're one of them, you're a saint, you're a saint, we're all saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we have the Spirit inside of us, giving us power, so that we can live in a way that more reflects the image of God which is why we were made in the first place, to reflect the image of God. And a lot of days, I'm really, really rotten at it. And a lot of days, you're really rotten at it. But I, I'll be honest, over the last few years, I've really tried to understand that even in those moments of guilt, when I, you know, because you have that moment where you're like, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? I'm better than that. I, I, and you feel bad in the sight of God, because if you're a Christian, this is not an uncommon thing for a lot of us. But it's in those moments that I've tried to remind myself, no, Jesus died for me for this reason. Because I'm weak, because I'm a failure, because I struggle. It's in this moment that the forgiveness of God reaches out to me so that I might experience the love of God and stand back up to hopefully walk a better path. And it's been an incredibly refreshing revelation to my soul. And to the guilt that, I, that was a part of my life for so, so long. I mean, there would be seasons where I would try to be really close to God and read my Bible every day and pray and do all the, check all the boxes, you know. And, and then I'd do something dumb or make, start making mistakes or start getting lazy and feel like a bad husband and a bad dad. And then my guilt would kind of cause me to push away from God a little bit out of shame. Like, I don't deserve to read my Bible because, you know, I'm, I meet God's presence when I open Scripture. And, I don't, you know, I don't deserve that, I guess, is what was going on in my heart. I don't fully understand. But, but I don't do that little back-and-forth dance anymore. Because in, in my brokenness, I've learned to understand, yes, I'm not holy. But He makes me holy. He, Jesus makes me worthy. Through Jesus, I can approach the Father in prayer. Through Jesus, I can come to the Scriptures and have my broken self be put back together, have the broken pieces of my soul glued back together so that I can be fully the image of God that He made me to be. And so we have to understand this idea of holiness because it's really the theme of salvation that we see from beginning to end that we have a holy God who made us to be a holy people. And and our sin totally and utterly devastates that. And the story of, of God's plan of salvation is him trying to make us holy again, to restore our holiness. And it comes because Jesus deals with the sin that we are committing and the status that we have of broken and unholy before God, and also by the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us to help us actually make change. And so as, as Christians, what we must do every day is wake up and say, God, I'm giving you today 
I know I have all these sinful tendencies. I know I'm going to have temptations to do what is wrong. But I pray that the voice of your Holy Spirit in me would be louder than the voice of evil in my head. And that we daily try to make choices to say no to sin, to separate ourselves from sin, and say yes to God so that we can come to our Father and stay holy and live as holy as possible. And then we mess up and we say, I'm so sorry, God, please forgive me, help me to be holy again. But our sins do not put us on the outs with God anymore. Because with Jesus, you have been granted the permanent status of holy. You are a saint. So the next time somebody tries ripping on you, you say, you don't know this, but I'm a saint. You kind of feel a little swagger. Maybe that's not the, the best idea. But to, holy means to, to be holy means to be different. And that means Christians should be different. And so when we sin, yes, it's okay to maybe feel a little upset at ourselves, to feel a little disappointed. But we do not need to feel fearful of God. Because in Christ, we've already been forgiven. In Christ, we've already had, our, had that taken away so that we can come right back to God and say, okay, I messed up, but I want to do it again. I want to, I want to try again. I want to be more who you've made us to be. We are made in the image of God, and it's time that we lived to show that to the world, to live in a way that accurately represents the holiness and goodness and mercy and love and justice and utter hatred for evil and all things broken that God exhibits. He does not want sin to be in our world because sin destroys us and it leads us to destroy others. And so when we choose holiness, when we say yes to the spirit and no to, the, no to sin in our lives, that's what we are doing. We are saying no to the brokenness and the, and the poison of sin that causes death and we're saying yes to the life-giving God of the universe. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be holy people. Your standard of holiness can be intimidating because it is utter perfection. And Jesus even calls us, he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And that can be intimidating and scary. And we're never really going to do great at that. We're never going to live up to that standard. But I do pray, Father, that, that through your spirit, as we go through this life and as we daily commit to saying, yes to you, and we do our best by the power of, of, again, the spirit inside of us, that as we go through our lives, or we go through the, the years and, and decades, that we would see transformation, that we would be different people in one year, five years, ten years, twenty years than we are right now. That we, would be, we would look more like Jesus in, as time passes than we do right now. That we would feel less guilt and shame and condemnation because those are taken away in Christ. And that we would feel rejuvenated and free and empowered to live as, a, as an image bearer of you in this world. And I just pray, Father, that, that we would be people who choose holiness, that we would want to be your people, a chosen people, set apart, different than the world, because you are amazing and you are good, and the world needs to know about you. The world needs to see your amazing glory, and that's one of the reasons we are here to show that glory. But if we are just like everything else in the world and everyone else in the world, if we're indistinguishable from our culture, then I don't think that that's possible. And so I pray that you would help us to, to choose you and your path every day so that we can highlight your beauty in the world. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for this incredible standard that, that honestly we're probably not going to reach in this life. But we also thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us a fighting chance. And we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that takes away our sin, that covers for our mistakes, so that we can stand before you as holy, as your saints, 
and pray to you and find comfort and peace in the life you've given us through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.